I price my work based on three variables. The variable number one is how much does it cost me to produce this project? Variable number two is what do other people like me charge for this same type of work? And variable number three is how much is the client willing to spend on this thing? Welcome to the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast, brought to you by Aventive Academy. I'm your host, Katie Sandell. I'm a brand strategist, designer, creative director, and the CEO of a successful six-figure design agency based in Austin, Texas, serving clients worldwide. After mastering the art of building a profitable and sustainable design business, I decided to help you achieve the same success. I teach brand graphic and web design business owners how to attract more clients, increase their pricing and develop design businesses that provide the financial freedom and time flexibility you've always dreamt of. We offer online programs, courses and templates that you can use along with our coaching accelerator and mastermind high touch experiences for creatives. You can learn more about starting and growing your design business at AventiveAcademy.com. But for now, grab a cup of coffee and join me in today's podcast episode. Hello and welcome, fellow design business owners, to another exciting episode of the Profitable Graphic Designer podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here with us today because in today's episode, we have a very special guest who's about to take us on a journey from a solo designer to running and selling a thriving creative agency. So if you're a brand graphic or web design business owner, or simply someone looking to grow your creative business, you are in for a treat. Our guest today, Michael Gianda, has not only scaled his design career, but has also successfully transitioned into running an amazing creative agency, which he sold after 13 years, I believe. He'll be sharing his insights, experiences, and strategies for attracting bigger and better clients, charging what you're worth, and ultimately achieving success you've been dreaming of. So whether you are just starting out or looking to take your design business to new heights, you won't want to miss a moment of today's conversation. Michael's journey is packed with wisdom, tips, and inspiration that you can apply to your own design ventures. But before we dive into this conversation, make sure to subscribe to the Profitable Graphic Designer podcast if you haven't already. All right, without further ado, let's get started with our conversation with Michael Janda. And I will actually ask Michael to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about who he is and what he does. So welcome, Michael. Thank you. You're so good at the freaking intro. It was <laughs> like be <laughs> listening to this. So I've been on a lot of podcasts and a lot of times people say, oh, I'll just record the intro after we're done. And Katie did it right here on the spot. One take, no mess ups, no restarts. It was so good. You're so yeah, good well, at this. Thank right? you. I do prepare well for my podcast. I know. You <laughs> slayed it. You did great. Good job. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So my journey, I'll just give you the quick summary. Back in 2000, I had landed a creative director job at Fox Studios and I was living in LA. And I thought 
that was going to be the end of my career. I thought, oh man, this is a director level position. I have a six figure salary. I can stay here for the next 20 or 30 years and make this my career. And then six months later, September 11th happened, or maybe a year later, and then the dot bomb happened in the stock market where all the dot-com companies collapsed. And, and then Fox sold our divisions to Disney, and then they started dismantling our divisions, which was Fox Kids and Fox Family. And during that time, people were not hiring, they were downsizing. And it was really scary for me. And I was looking for jobs, but every time I'd apply for a job somewhere, I would get a freelance client who seemed to fall from the sky. And so I started to find that what the universe wanted for me in my life was to start freelancing, even though I was resistant to it. I was so afraid to be out on my own. It's such a scary thing when you when you think about it like i wouldn't have done it had i not been pushed over the cliff is how it felt i was standing at the edge of the cliff should i freelance or should i not and if i hadn't been pushed because i had no other options i probably wouldn't have done it and i'm so grateful in hindsight that i was forced into it by not having any other options and having freelance work just dropping into me i'm so grateful that it happened my first client was Sony, and then I started doing work for ABC Family and Warner Brothers and Disney, and I had friends all over Hollywood, and I started to get clients, and when they, people found out that I was freelancing, that grew for a couple years, and then I resisted hiring for those couple years because I was afraid of hiring, too. I was afraid of it all. Then I finally broke down and started hiring people. And then it just started growing like crazy, doubled my billings of several years in a row. We were one of the fastest growing companies in the nation in Inc. 5000 at one point. And then in 2015, I had the opportunity to sell my agency and I sold it. And we merged in with the agency that I sold to. I stayed there for a couple of years during my buyout. And then I left to do what I'm doing now, which is the, my favorite part of my whole career. And it's talking to people like you and being on podcasts and mentoring and doing coaching. I have my community, More Creative Academy, and I make courses and I write books and, and make content. And I just love what I'm doing. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction. I love how you mentioned that you were afraid of being a freelancer, which is something that never even comes to my mind because I was the opposite. I was afraid of having a job. I always really? wanted and knew I wanted to be a freelancer. I was 15 when I was saying to my mom, I want to make a billboard. And she was like, what do you mean you want to make a billboard? And I was like, well, I don't know, you know, that like poster on a billboard. I didn't even know that's a graphic design. You know, I didn't know. Oh. And so she was telling me, well, maybe that's a graphic design. Is that a poster design or something like that? She was trying to guide me. And I was like, I just want to be a freelancer. I don't want to have a nine to five. I don't want to have a job. And she was like, oh, my God, what's going to what's going to happen? <laughs> that's but I, so funny. That is yeah. complete opposite for me. And I think that that's complete opposite for most people. From my perspective, most people are afraid of it. Yeah. Now, but now I was I'm on, 15. So I didn't, yeah, that's even I crazier. Didn't, Maybe you were just too naive to understand. Exactly. That you were 
asking for. I didn't know what yeah. you know future is gonna hold for us. So I was just like, oh, I want to be a freelancer. I I didn't have any worries. I still I never had a job at that point, so yeah. I never even thought about you know what's stable, what's not stable, how much money I will need. Like I didn't know yeah, anything. So, you so didn't I think care. I was just like dreaming. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good. That's good that you started then and you did it before you understood how scary it really can be. And I'm sure you've had all those conversations with people that you train and coach and on your podcast that I think the majority of people are afraid of it. Even the ones who are capable, they're like so talented and ready and they have some money saved up and they're still afraid to jump into it. I'm with you now. Like I'm totally afraid to ever have a job again. I could never have a job again. Like Me I'm <laughs> now 20 something years into being self-employed, entrepreneurial. Ugh. It yeah. would cost a lot of money for somebody to hire me because I love my life so much. My life. Exactly. Because it would take away all the freedom that you can't yeah. have when you work nine to five. Yeah. Okay. Well, can you share your journey from being a solo designer to running a successful design or creative agency? Like what inspired you to, to transition from being a solo designer to building a creative agency? I could have hired in the very first year that I went freelance. I did $220,000 in, in revenue my first year freelancing. And then I did $240,000 my second year. And But I was so afraid. I had plenty of money, plenty of revenue. I could have hired people, but I was so afraid of that because I thought that I needed... I, th I thought about hiring people like this. I thought about hiring people with an annual mindset. And I thought, oh, if I hire a designer... And that designer costs me $60,000 a year. Now, all of a sudden, my $200,000 of income becomes $140,000 of income. I was looking at it all wrong. And then I had some epiphanies that caused me to change my mindset. And one of those was I started viewing business in three-month increments. And when I started looking at that, I thought, okay, my, my employee who is $60,000 a year really is only $5,000 per month, which is a $15,000 risk, not a $60,000 risk. And I'll take the $15,000 risk on hiring that person for three months. At the end of three months, they're either gonna be amazing and proving that they belong in my company and helping my business make more money, or they'll be clearly not a good fit and I'll have to let go of them and they'll be costing me money instead of making me money. And so I, I thought, I realized that. And then all of a sudden hiring became so, such an easy decision because I would take these three month experiments or these three month risks. I could look at my bank, my bank account and say, okay, I have $40,000 in my bank account. I'll risk 15,000 of it in the next three months to hire Sally. And then Sally can prove she's going to make a difference here or not in that three-month window. So my first year, I went from hiring my first employee. And then a year later, I had five employees that were all full-time salaried employees just because of that mindset shift. And then it becomes easier to go from five employees to six isn't scary at all. To go from six to eight is not scary at all. To go from zero to one, super scary. From one to three or one to five, 
also scary, but the fear kind of goes away when it's just these little incremental increases and not, not all of it at one time. You get it just a little drip by drip. Yeah, definitely. And what were your goals when you wanted to expand? Because many freelancers are afraid of hiring and they don't want to give away or give up on being a creative. You know, they they don't want to be just business owners. They still want to design those logos or websites. So how did that happen that you want to actually be an agency owner? Okay, so the first thing that changed for me is I started to get to know a lot of other agency owners in my area. I would meet them at some networking thing and I would say, oh, I know about your agency. Let's go to lunch. And then I would go to lunch with them. And I knew that they had 12 employees, 20 employees, 50 employees. And I would have lunch with them and I would be like, man, this person's nothing. They're they're a great person and capable, but they're not anything special. Like they're not some superhero like I used to think. They're just a normal person who's taking some business risks and being methodical in the way that they're expanding their business. And I'm not. I'm not taking risks and I'm not expanding, but I'm every bit as capable as they are. I kind of had the veil taken away that all of those business owners were superheroes and I wasn't. I realized... I can be a superhero too. If they're a superhero, I can do it too. That's kind of what happened mentally. And then the next thing that happened, so your question was, what was the mindset shift? The next thing that happened was I got competitive. I got competitive with myself. And I started looking around thinking, man, what would it be like to have a studio space? And I started to look at other agencies and their interior office spaces and stuff. And I started to dream and have this vision of what my agency could become. And that was the big, big game changer. I was afraid to even envision it in the early days of my agency. But once I let out the vision and took the courage to even just dream it, then everything started to fall into place. It was like, They say you can manifest stuff. It was like I was just manifesting this agency with wood floors and glass walls and all of the cool industrial fixtures and things. So that's kind of what happened there. The other element was how did I get over? I I just want to design stuff. I had a really dark year, probably around like 2005, where I realized that all I was doing was dealing with a frustrated employee, frustrated client, bidding projects, all the crap of the agency was on my plate and everybody else was doing the fun stuff, designing logos, designing websites. They were doing all the fun stuff and I was pricing projects. And then it took me about a year before I had the, the paradigm shift for that. And that paradigm shift was, oh, I'm not designing websites anymore. Now I'm designing a company. Now I'm designing a company culture. I'm designing a company brand. I'm designing all our systems. I I was designing our spreadsheets and proposal documents and stuff. And I was getting as much satisfaction out of designing those things as I was designing logos for my clients before. And I look back at my brand, like that R right there on the back. Those of you who are watching this in video can see it, but the R is from the door on my 
agency space. And that's the R from Riser. And I designed my logo and I designed my studio space and I designed all of the wall art and all the stuff. And so I was scratching my design itch by designing this business and not designing the stuff the business made anymore. And that just liberated me. Yeah. And how did you go about assembling a team for your agency? Like what qualities did you look for when hiring other designers and, you know, just other team members? Like who did you hire first? Uh, my very first hire was a production designer. He was super cheap. He was in high school and he would come over after high school and work with me till like eight o'clock at night. And I taught him how to do some HTML and taught him how to use some of my Macromedia Flash stuff back in the day. And he was a production designer and really talented and smart. And then my next designer was a junior designer who had just finished college. And then my next hire was an office manager. I realized, oh, I need somebody to invoice clients. I need somebody to follow up on late payments. I need somebody to put all the receipts into QuickBooks. I need somebody to manage the, the business minutia, all those little things that happen. When I hired that person, I got my Saturdays back because I used to just do that on Saturday. When my clients weren't calling, I would go and put all my receipts and invoice and do all that stuff on Saturday. Anyway, so I got my Saturday back. Um, and then my it was probably about two more hires that were production people. And then I hired an art director level person to help manage the day-to-day -day production of the business. So that was kind of my first batch of hires. What I look for or what I looked for I still do because I still hire um, some people for the business that I do now, my consulting business. I look for the team fit. Do they fit my culture? That's the very first thing that I look at. Can I sit with this person and work with them eight hours a day, five days a week? Is that going to be reasonable for me to do? And if it was a no, then I wasn't going to hire that person. I was so careful with my company culture. I messed it up a couple of times by hiring people who I thought, man, they're such a great designer. I don't really like the person all that much, but they're so good of a designer. I'm going to take a chance on this. And then it just, it was so hard on the company culture. So I, I learned company culture was my number one priority. My number two priority was probably their ambition to self-educate. Not, I'm, I'm more concerned about their ability to grow into the position than I am in their ability to do the job right on day one. I want to hire people that a year from now, they're a super great fit. They've super ambitious to learn and they grew into the role. And now they're this big, great piece of, of my business. That's what I cared most about in my hires. Not, you know, I'd rather have a great cultural fit and a mediocre skill set on day one with the chance of having a great skill set on day 90 or 120. I would take that over a great skill set on day one and a bad cultural fit. You got, you have to be so careful. I You're know, spending, yeah. You spend more time with these people than you do with your own family. So exactly. you got to be careful. 
You didn't get to choose your family other than your spouse. If you have kids, then you didn't get to choose your kids. They just come. But man, you can choose your spouse and you should choose your employees wisely too. Yeah, definitely. It's funny that you mentioned the culture because just the other day we were hiring a new social media manager and I called. So I had a conversation with like five people and I decided to choose the most expensive one, not because she was the most expensive one, but because we just, I felt like she can be my friend. So I called my coach and I told her, maybe I'm making a mistake. I feel like I'm hiring her because she can be my friend. (laughs) Like, am I, like, why am I doing this? Like, Maybe she's not the best in what, you know, what we are looking for, which is something that she can definitely learn. But it was like, do I just hire her because we match, because we are, you know, like we have the same type of like energy and we can talk and have a coffee. And so, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. And it's funny because my previous virtual assistant who um, she was working for me for almost five years and when she sent a resume, so we posted at that time on Indeed when we were looking for someone and she sent a resume and literally sent a cover letter. I know that everything that's in my resume doesn't have anything with what you're looking for, but please give me a chance. I'll come for, you know, in-person interview. And I was yeah. like, okay, fine. Wow. Like, I don't even know. Like, it's just, it yeah. was so honest and she got Kelsey. Uh, and so Kelsey got to the office and we had a conversation. We had like a really great conversation, but I knew she doesn't know anything yet, but I was willing to teach her and she stayed with me for almost five years and then she That's had a baby, awesome. so she had to leave and all that. But, yeah. you know, we are still very close and we still have our Zoom meetings once a month, even though they we don't talk about business anymore because, yeah. you know, she, she doesn't work for me anymore. But, but yeah, I definitely get that. Okay. Yeah. So, to go back to hiring. So when you started hiring, I'm assuming that's when you started working with larger clients or like what mm-hmm. strategies did you maybe implement to attract larger and better clients to your agency? Because I saw on your website that you were working with NBC, Disney, Google, National Geographic and so on. So like, yeah. can you share some tips for like targeting and acquiring like high value clients? Yeah. So for me, I started with high, high dollar clients, high profile clients, because they were my coworkers at Fox and they started working at Disney, at National Geographic, at Warner Brothers. And they started sending me freelance work because they didn't have internal teams. So my very first clients were high profile, great clients like that. What what changed when I started hiring was the size of projects that I was getting. So in the early days, a big project for me would be $10,000, $12,000, a $12,000 website. That was big. And it's big for a lot of people. But you fast forward four years when I had, say, six or seven employees, and now a $50,000 website was a big project. And then when I had 20 employees, we we were doing six-figure projects, $100,000. We did a $500,000 website. So the projects got bigger, but the clients stayed the same. The only way you're going to get into high-profile clients, there's two ways that it can happen. The first one is if you build a relationship with somebody who's already there. You have to have a relationship. You cannot call Disney and say, can I speak to the creative director? I'd love to do some work for you. There's zero chance that that's going to happen. You're not going to be able to find the person in the first place. You have to build a relationship with people. Now, 
building relationships has never been easier. I have people all over the world that ha I have relationship with. They're my closest friends right now. They're on my Instagram and I chat with them almost every day. And they're all over the world from all over Europe to Russia to Pakistan. I mean, it's people everywhere. And I love that about social media. But these are people who have built a relationship with me. They live in Bangalore, India. And now they're one degree removed from every Disney contact that I've ever worked with. They're one degree removed. They're one degree removed from my current business that has that I have high profile content and things like lots of content getting shared around and books, published books and things. And they build friendships with me through social media. And you can do the same thing through social media with anybody that you can find. You just have to build the relationship by supporting them first, not asking for the work. And this is where a lot of people make mistake. They, they don't even take the time to follow me on Instagram and they send me a DM. You've had these two, I'm sure. I know. Hey, I've got a, I wrote three emails for you for a funnel for free. I'll send them to you if you want. Tell me, tell me yes and I'll send them. Or I would love to do your video editing send me a yes and I'll send you a sample or whatever, that kind of stuff. You're never going to get the work that way. Maybe one out of a thousand people that you if they need it exactly in that moment. And, they have to be in yeah. pain right then. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. But if you build a relationship with me over a year of time by commenting on every post that I make in on Instagram or commenting on my YouTube videos and then sending me a DM saying, hey, I, your content's been so valuable. I love your content, blah, blah, blah. I if love you do this that, part about this video. And don't ask yeah, about, don't ask anything. Things. Don't and ask then, for anything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't ask yeah. for anything. Just build a trusting relationship. That's what you have to do. So build relationship and don't ask for anything from the person. Let the business happen naturally out of that. And you can do that. You can go on LinkedIn right now and type in creative director at Disney and you'll find a handful of people. You can find marketing managers at Google and you'll find a whole bunch of people, but there's no way that you're going to get work from them unless you nurture a real relationship first. And this is how I built my agency through that. That's, that's the version number one that you can do. I didn't do it during social media era because it didn't exist when I was growing my agency. I would fly, I would have one job from ABC television and I would fly out and I would take them to lunch and I would get to know the people and, I and they would invite somebody else from their team and I would get to know that person. And then they'd refer me to another division at ABC and I'd get to know that person and I just built relationships with them. And I did it with the intention, with the sincere intention of just being serviceable and being nice to them and being friends with them. Not because I was trying to get work. I never did it. I never even did it because of that. I loved work being the byproduct, but it wasn't the purpose. Like I, I just, your life is richer if you have more people in it, more quality people. And if you take that approach, you can build relationships. Katie and I, this is our first time chatting and I feel like we've known each other for a year already. And it's, we've been on a call for 30 minutes. This kind of a relationship, who knows where this goes in the future of 
our careers, more collaborations, more combo, whatever things that we end up doing together when I I'm see going you in for South, a lunch by South by South. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that stems from this. And then you have access to my entire list of contacts and I have access to your entire list of contacts. And that's how our businesses grow together. So because we build a trusting relationship. So that's the first way that you can get big clients. The second way is for them to come to you. And the way that you're going to get them to come to you is if you build a reputation that is so big that by winning awards and by writing a book and by just making a real name for yourself, speaking at events and things, you build a reputation and they hear about, oh my gosh, I heard, have you heard about this designer, Katie? She's the greatest logo designer ever. I just heard her on this podcast. She was so smart. She just won this award, blah, blah, blah. We better call her to redesign our brand. That's how you get those big clients to find you. And I lost projects to those agencies. It was like some of my clients, it seemed like they would hire the agency of the year on ad age every year. Whoever won ad age agency of the year was who they were going to hire for their $2 million project. And I was always bummed because we could have done the work, but I did, I was happy getting the $100,000 projects and I didn't need the $2 million budget project, but reputation. So it's relationships and reputation. Those are the two ways that you can get big name clients. I can't yeah, see any other remember, way to Yeah, and I remember growing my design agency. It also wasn't on social media, even though it was just, I mean, just compared to when you were building your business, it was seven, eight, eight years ago. And I was going to three to five different networking events per week. It was my part-time job because I didn't know many people in Denver. And it wasn't just, it wasn't also just about getting clients, even though at that time I really needed clients, <laughs> but yeah. it was about like building that relationship and I'm still getting referrals from Denver. You know, it's been seven years since, has, since I've been there. And, you know, we, are, we still have that connection and we're connected on LinkedIn and we, you know, really try to help each other grow. And I know you also mentioned pricing because and pricing is a common concern for design businesses. And I know you've published a book called The Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing. Yeah. So I'm sure you can help our listeners like maybe price their work. So how did you approach pricing your services and how has your pricing strategy evolved over time? I price my work based on three variables. The variable number one is how much does it cost me to produce this project? Variable number two is what do other people like me charge for this same type of work? And variable number three is how much is the client willing to spend on this thing? Before we continue with this podcast episode, I just want to quickly remind you that if you're a design business owner whose dream is to have a successful and profitable career so you can enjoy the freedom and flexibility that comes with it, then I have something for you. The Profitable Designer Program is my signature 12-week system that will help you improve your business, sign amazing high-paying clients, and truly achieve your financial and lifestyle goals. 
visit aventiveacademy.com slash profit to check if you can join us now or if we are currently not accepting more designers into the program. In that case, you will be able to join the waitlist and be the first to know when we open the doors again. Now, we'll go back to the episode in a second, but I just want to add that designers who completed the program were able to sign five-figure design clients, 10 times their pricing, reach six figures and beyond, make $20,000 per month while working only a few hours a week and more. So if you want to be my next success story and achieve achieve results like these, visit aventiveacademy.com slash profit. Now let's go back to the episode. Those are the three variables that I consider. So let's just price a logo really quickly. Price a logo. If I look at a logo and I let's just for easy math, say I do, I charge $100 an hour or I need to bring in $100 an hour for my production time. And I think that it's gonna take me 10 hours to design this logo. That's $1,000 of my production cost. That's not what I charge the client. That's the, the variable so that I know that that's my floor so that I at least have charge more than that so I make money. So $1,000 is my make money bottom line. Variable number two, I would go and look up surveys and just listen and get familiar with what do other people charge for logos. And Katie, if you, if you, you have a lot of connections and talk a lot about design, what would you say is the market value? What do people, what do f- good freelancers charge for logos? Give me a, a price. It really depends, but it's definitely more than $10,000, I would say. Okay, so more than ten thousand dollars. So that's an that's that'll be our market value. So one thousand dollars our production cost, ten thousand dollars our market value. Now you have a new coffee house that's getting their their construction is getting done. They're super excited. They're self invested into this coffee house. So they put their house mortgage against this coffee house to kind of bootstrap it up. And there's this couple and they're super excited. What kind of budget do you think they might have for a logo? Very low. Okay, what would what would be very low? That would be, well, it really depends. They might even go on Upwork and Fiverr to find an icon. Okay, that's um, possible. <laughs> so in some cases, let's say that they're willing to spend money, but they're not gonna spend $10,000 on their logo. So we have to analyze the client's budget. And let's just say we know 1,000 is our our cost. We know 10,000 is what some other people charge, but the client has has to work inside of a budget because they're bootstrapping this thing on credit cards. So let's say that we assume, or we ask the client how much they wanna spend on their logo and they tell us $2,000. Now we have three numbers that we can analyze in pricing the work. We can say, okay, on the high end, I could just say to them, hey, sorry, if it's not $10,000, I'm not going to do it. But most hungry designers are going to say, well, if it's $2,000 and they told me that's the budget and I know I will make double what it costs me to produce it, would I be willing to price it at $2,000 to win it? They seem like nice people. I think I'll I'll take that risk and I'll do it uh, for the $2,000 and I'll make $1,000 of profit. I like that business and they say yes to that price. But you don't understand, if you don't understand those three variables, you can't do the assessment 
that you need to do in pricing that project. And I think a lot of advice that you see out there is, oh, up your prices. You should be charging $10,000 for logos. You should be, it's 10,000. Why would you not charge 10,000 for logos? Well, you wouldn't charge 10,000 for logos because if you don't have the right types of clients in front of you, you're never going to win a logo. You have to understand what the client is reasonably willing to spend. There's something in pricing that we always have to pay attention to, and it's called the cost of the next best alternative or the next best alternative price. So if Katie wants to charge 10,000 for a logo and she's the best logo designer that we interviewed, but Mike is at the table and he says, I'll charge you 8,000. And Mike is like, you know, 90% as good as Katie. The client will look at it and say, you know what? Katie's definitely better than Mike, but my next best alternative is Mike and I'll save two grand. I think I'll, I'll hire Mike. I'll hire Mike. So that happens in, in business all the time. We do it all the time. We do it when we go to every freaking store. We would rather pay for the gallon of milk at Walgreens for 50 cents more than make another stop to go buy it cheaper at the grocery store. Or we look at it and say, oh man, it'll be $5 for a gallon of milk at Walgreens. I can just walk across the street and buy it for $3 at the grocery store. I'll just go to the grocery store. We're always making these kinds of assessments in our head, but we do it based on understanding those numbers. We, we, un, we put a value on our time to stop at another store. We put a value on the gallon of milk that we're going to buy. And we assess how much money we have in our bank account right now. If you have $6 in your bank account and five of it is going to go to the gallon of milk, you're probably going to say, mm, you know what, I'll just go across the street. And yes, it'll take me longer, but it's going to cost me half as much. And I'll still have a little money in my bank account left over. We're always making the assessment on things we buy with those three variables. And you could go down any buying houses, buying cars, buying any any kind of tangible thing, we're making those same decisions. So pricing for me just distills down to that batch of variables. Yeah. And yes, I totally agree. But I already hear our listeners now thinking, how can I know how much the client is willing to spend? So what would you tell them on that? Okay. So let's do a role play. Okay. You be oh the God. client, okay. Katie. Okay. <laughs> Katie's the client. She's starting her coffee house. Uh, and she's mortgaged her house to do this. Okay, so, okay, Katie, we, we just talked about Katie's business and we kind of, I asked her a bunch of questions and we became a little bit friends and now we're gonna do a little me asking the budget at the end. Okay, so Katie, I, uh, we would be great, a great fit to design a logo for you. I know, I, I can see what you're doing in the space. It looks amazing. I got a vision for what this whole thing is going to be. And it's going to be awesome. I would love to be part of it. I would love to help your business out. One final question. What kind of budget are you playing with for the logo? Like, do you have a budget in mind that you're thinking you want to spend? Yeah. So we were thinking about spending around $3,000 and we would need just a logo and colors. And I think that would be it. Okay. That that works for us. Usually on the higher end, we're about 7,000 for a logo. And on the lower end, we're about 3,000. So we have a package that can work for you at that $3,000 range. And I'll put together a proposal and we'll 
get it over to you. Uh, assuming that that all looks good, do you do you have any reservations or any questions about working with us? Um, does that mean that it would be up to three thousand, or because our budget is around three thousand? So if we go to yeah, seven, I'll, I'm not I'll sure. Do it, that would... I'll tailor a scope that hits that budget exactly, so that you're comfortable with the price. And we would, we we don't want to just be this one and done person for you. And that's why I'm willing to go on the lower end of the the pricing scale for you. I want to do your menus and your website and all the stuff for you. I don't want you to ever, ever hire another designer ever again. I want to be that for you. And so I'm happy to do the logo for you. And we're going to do an amazing job. And then I want to build a long-term relationship of just supporting all these marketing needs that your business is going to have. And um, so that's why I'm comfortable going to the bottom end of our normal range, which I know is the budget that you want to spend. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds perfect. So if you can just send that proposal to me and okay. we can go from there. Okay, usually we present it. So I'll schedule a call with you after I get it done. I'll schedule a call with you and it takes about 15 minutes for us to just walk you through. We'll tell you our process, give you the exact budget and timeline and, and uh, answer any questions that you have. So I'll be in touch. Okay, perfect. Okay, so, so you made it easy by giving me the budget. Now let's do one where you don't give me the budget because that's also the other alternative that happens. So- Okay, so I'll just say, well, yeah, so we'll just, I am not sure. Yeah, we'll launch sure. into that one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Go ahead. So I'm just, I'm not sure like how much would something like that cost? We need just the logo and, you know, colors for, for our business, for our brand. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it makes sense to just get some bids when you're in this process. And I know you're already spending a lot of money on the build out of your coffee space and you're buying all of your espresso machines and all this stuff. I know, I know that this all costs a lot and we want to be conscious of not gouging you on price, but we also want to be fair to what the market is and to our agency and what we need for our agency. So I'll tell you that on the higher end of a project like this, we're going to be somewhere around $10,000 for a logo, but on the lower end, we can be in that $4,000 range. Is that a range that you would be comfortable in? I'm not sure. So those 10,000 sounds a little bit out of our budget, but I'm just curious, yeah. what is the difference between a logo that's 4,000 and a logo that's 10,000? That's a good question. The big difference is the style guide and applications that we design. So when we design a $10,000 logo, we're gonna design the core logo. We're gonna design an entire logo family. And then we're gonna design what that looks like on a billboard and on a menu and on signage in your store. We're gonna design concept mock-ups of all of those things. And then we're gonna create a style guide for your logo that says, here's the exact colors that you always use. Here's the, the fonts that you always use. Here's what it looks like when we use it in all of these different circumstances. And here is the do's and don'ts of this logo. What can you change? What can you not change? Now that's on a bigger logo project. On a smaller logo project, oftentimes we'll do just the core logo and maybe a black and white version and a two color version. We may do like a stacked version that's in a in square format or one that's horizontal. It just depends on what that logo looks like. So it'll be a scaled down scope, but still give you what I you need still get to get the off logo. the ground. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. more just the logo and not all the application design and the style guide and things that we do in a bigger logo project. Yeah, I think it's we are okay with just the logo for now. Okay. Great. Are you comfortable in a $4,000 range for for a logo? And now I'm thinking, what should they say? Yes or no? <laughs> so I want you to, so time out. <laughs> We're pausing the role play. I, I want you to say no, because I know that your budget's 3000 and that's why I said 4000 because I want to show lower. people mm-hmm. how to get them, how to get them to confess that it's less than what you you have. And that's why I didn't say 3000. I thought it would make our conversation too easy. So I'm making it harder on myself. Okay, so are you comfortable in that $4,000 range for the logo design? I'm not sure. Like I was I was planning on spending a little bit less than that. Is that the minimum that you charge? Um, so for me, the way I look at relationships with any clients like you is a long-term perspective. And I would, I want to work with your business. I know you're going to have a ton of marketing needs. I know you're going to need a website and I know you're going to need marketing and ads and social media. And there's so many things that you're going to need in the future. And I don't want you to ever have to call another designer ever again in your whole future of your business. I want to be that. And so if you're on the the smaller side of that budget range right now, I'm happy to work within that budget so that I can start working with you so that we can build this mutually beneficial relationship to your business and my business. Would you be comfortable in like a 3,500 range on the high end and 3,000 on the low end, somewhere in there? I think so. I would. What would be included in a 3,000? In this case, I, I can include the same things that we were talking about for 4,000. We may not do the stacked versions. I'll go back to my office and we'll scope out exactly what it will be. But we may just do your core logo and then a logo family that has a two-color version, a black on white version, a white on black version, and maybe like a little logo usage guide that's just two pages that says, Here's your logo. Here's the color palette that you use. Here's the typography that you use. I think we can do that in that $3,000 budget. We probably would omit some of the things like a, a difference in a stacked version of like a vertical orientation versus a horizontal orientation logo. Some of those kinds of things or an icon only version or something. We may take out some of those things, but we can go back and scope it. If I know that you're comfortable at 3000, I can go and scope it and pack as much into that budget as I can. Yeah, I would be comfortable with 3000. And then as we grow our coffee shop, we can later on add things. Yeah, we can add, we can do a style guide. We can do applications on what it would look like on a menu, or we can just do a menu design project for you in the future or design your signage. There's all kinds of things. And that's why I want to work with you because I love getting in on the ground floor of an of a business like yours, where it's just starting. I know you'll have so many needs because we do this for a lot of other clients. And like I, I have the vision of what your business is going to be. And I want to be part of that long term. Yeah, I would love that. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds good to me. If you can then okay. send me just that proposal for, for 3000 and what exactly would be included. And, okay. and then we can have that call. Okay. Sounds perfect. Uh, okay. So now we're done with our role play. So one of the things, thank you. You're an awesome client. The, but I really yeah, liked, I don't know if I, if you, if you were to ask me this or not, but I've really felt heard 
And I felt because you said many times, I understand where you're coming from. I understand how much money you're spending. I think that was really good. And also, I liked how we started with 10,000. So now I feel like I'm getting a lot, but yeah. I, I got a deal for 3,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's called price anchoring in sales. I'm sure you know that already. Yeah. But for your listeners, it's called price anchoring. And you say, those bigger numbers. And then all of a sudden that becomes the expensive option. You don't say, and if you'll notice, I said those bigger numbers first. And then I said the smaller ones, you don't give them a range. I used to make this mistake. They would say, how much is a logo? And I'd say, I don't know, 3,000, 3, 3, 7. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody starts on the small, but if you're in sales, you should start on the big, tell them it's going to be 10 grand. Let that soak in for a second and then take them down to four and then realize that they have a concern. I could tell by the way that she was talking. And then I'm like, all right, let's go a little lower and see what we can land. Now, some people call this a race to the bottom. This is what some of the listeners will be talking about. Now, just to put this in perspective, I, I did $30 million of revenue at my agency over my agency run. So a race to the bottom for me was I would do a $50,000 website when my competitors would charge 80000 so a race to the bottom does not mean that you're doing $50 logos. It can mean that you're coming down on your price to land the project. If I would have said, nope, seven grand, that's our lowest, I would not have landed the coffee shop logo from Katie. She would have looked for the cost of the next best alternative. That's what she would have looked for. And she would have found another designer that would have done it cheaper. So I had the conversation, I wanted the project I understood my production cost was $1,000. We talked about that right at the start. So I know that I'm tripling my money if I do it for 3,000. Sign me up. You can't triple your money in the stock market unless you keep it in there for 14 years. Yeah. That's, that's when you're gonna triple your money. So I like that, that profit margin on this logo project, even though other people are charging $10,000 for logos. That's great. Good for them. But if you don't have any work, then don't price yourself out of jobs that can be profitable for you. you if you have total demand, if you have like 20, $3,000 logos at your shop right now, then yeah, bump your prices up. Get Start pricing some people out because you're too cheap because you have so much demand. Supply and demand is what's going to determine whether your prices are higher or lower. That's the way it's determined by every other way anything is priced ever in the entire world is based on supply and demand. And we want to create demand at a certain price point. Once our demand is big enough, then we go and we decrease the supply by increasing the price. Yeah, definitely. And also, I feel like a lot of designers are still and constantly posting on Instagram, which is totally fine. But some designers don't understand that high paying clients are not there scrolling through Instagram. They might be no. on LinkedIn or in person specialized in networking events. And so for people who are trying to get better clients or, you know, bigger clients and charge more, charge north of 10,000 or, you know, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, whatever, that's more than two, 3,000, they should be looking at places where their ideal clients hang out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Instagram problem is because they're, they want to do it. It's fun to make the content. And they'll say to themselves, the story you tell yourself 
is, oh man, maybe this post, this will be the one. This will be the one. Somebody's going to see it. Disney's going to see this and they're going to call me. <laughs> That's the one. That's the story it we tell happen. ourselves. It can happen. Like I've heard those and stories. Winning but the lottery like one can happen ever. too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can. It can happen, but it's highly unlikely. What's more likely is if you do a search on LinkedIn, find a marketing manager at a, cl- a client you want to work with. And then you build a relationship with them. And then in three months or six months, you transition that into a paying client opportunity. That's much more likely than you winning the lottery on Instagram. Yeah. And I keep saying to creatives that they're missing out by not being on LinkedIn. I know that it, that, you know, visually it is a boring platform. It's not something creatives love, you know, it's not like Instagram or Pinterest, but it's where the clients are. And it's really way easier to get clients through LinkedIn, because I feel like every person, when, when they log into, to LinkedIn, they are in that business mindset. You already know that you're on that platform for business. And I keep saying this, I built my business based on building relationships in person, going to networking events, and building relationships on LinkedIn. And yes, our blog is really good, but SEO and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But also, you know, these two things are what helped me grow my design agency. Yeah, super good so, advice. Interestingly, yeah. my my Instagram hasn't grown in two years. And I've had intermittent posting on it, but the algorithm, if you're not if you're not scantily dressed pointing at the screen to the the, the trending music, then you're going to struggle to grow on Instagram these days. It's not always the case. Somebody's listening saying, that's not true. Well, it is true in a lot of ways. And maybe it's not true for the anomalies, but only for the anomalies. But my LinkedIn has been growing and I have been putting very little effort toward it and it's been growing. My TikTok has been growing recently. It's not big numbers. I have 2,000 something on TikTok. I have 7,000 something followers on LinkedIn. But my Instagram, which was my big platform, I was growing at 10,000 followers a month for a couple of years almost on Instagram. And I'm stuck at 162,000 followers right now. It hasn't grown Mm -hmm. in two years. I keep and posting. What has, nothing has changed. You're nothing, posting. My yeah. consistency changed because once the algorithm stopped sharing content, my content, I got demotivated and I started posting less. And then it just becomes this cycle of the algorithms demotivating me. So now I'm not posting. So now the algorithm doesn't like me even more than it used to not like me. And um, and I never got consistent enough to break through the algorithm to say, I'll show you, I'm going to post every freaking day. And then you're going to relent. times a day, reels, dancing and pointing. (laughs) Yeah. Dancing and pointing. I will never (laughs) dance and point, but I am going to share. And I have been, I've been on, I've been on a new push and I'm excited about content for the first time in a couple of years right now. Um, but yeah, I was just about to ask, well, let me just ask you yeah. this question. So you yeah. have sold your company in 2015. Now tell us what have you been doing since then? Like what is going on? What do you do now? Like what's your main focus? Um, most of my revenue comes from course sales. I have two big mega courses. One's the ultimate freelance course. And then I have web design business bootcamp. They're both huge courses. And so most of my revenue comes from there. My second biggest revenue source is one-on-one coaching. I do a lot of one-on-one coaching. I've coached several 
agencies to seven figures to to get to the seven figure milestone. I love getting into the weeds of people's businesses and helping solve their problems. And I, I just love that. I love that. Um, and then I the, earlier this year, I started my creative community, More Creative Academy, and I've had so much fun with that. I have a hundred something people uh, in that community. And we just did our first retreat a couple months ago in Fort Lauderdale, face-to-face -face retreat, which was super fun. And then I get book, book sales that come in. I don't know. I'm having fun being an entrepreneur. And, and creating I, content. Oh, I love creating <laughs> content. I love creating video content right now. I love it so much. I love doing collabs with people like you. I, like You reached out to me last week and I scheduled on the very first day that was available. That's because I. this is a big part of what I want to do in my career right now is conversations like this. I love it so much. So I've been fortunate because I had a successful agency and I sold it. I don't have to work for money right now. I'm never worried about paying my bills. I'm doing it for the fun of entrepreneurship and for the giving back to the industry that was really good to me and helping all of the people who are out there afraid of hiring their first employee, helping them understand some of the paradigms that I changed so that I could grow my business. I, I get so much satisfaction out of that. And I just let financial gain be the byproduct of yeah. loving what I do. I love that. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for this insightful strategies and everything you shared with us uh, here on the Profitable Graphic Designer podcast. And we hope that our listeners found this uh, conversation with you as inspiring and informative as I did. And before we say goodbye, Michael, can you tell us where people can find you, your website, Instagram, YouTube, wherever else my, you hang out? Good. Thank you. Uh, my website is michaeljanda.com. My social handles on most channels is at morejanda, M-O-R-E-J-A-N-D-A. -E um, Instagram and YouTube are my two Biggest focuses, LinkedIn, also kind of floating out there. TikTok, somebody has more Janda on TikTok. Um, they're sitting on it with one post waiting for me to buy it, I'm sure. So my TikTok is most Janda, but the other channels, just go to my website, michaeljanda.com and you'll find all links to all of the other pertinent stuff. Perfect. Well, thank you so yeah. much for being my guest. Oh, Katie, you are awesome. Thank you. This was so fun. I'm sad it's over, honestly. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Graphic Designer podcast. But wait, before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast episode and want a chance to access one of our online courses for free, simply leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Each month, one lucky reviewer gets to pick a course as a token of our appreciation. And here's a reminder. We are here to help you build the design business of your dreams. Whether it's creating compelling proposals, attracting 10K clients, pricing your design services, improving your portfolio, reaching six figures and beyond, or helping you stand out, we've got you covered. I invite you to join over 1,000 designers in my signature 12-week program, The Profitable Designer. Visit aventiveacademy.com profit. And also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll be the first to know when each new episode drops so you never miss out on future content. 
Until next time, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at at Aventive Academy, where we share valuable business tips, stories, and resources for brand, graphic, and web design business owners. Bye for now. Your host, Katie Sundell.